it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad you're here. Thrilled you're here. Thanks to everyone who met me in New Jersey last night. It was great being at Little Point Bookshop. I uh, had a chance to address everybody and sign a bunch of books and get home at a decent time uh, and ready to go today. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Mark Dubowitz. This guy knows everything about defense and or world affairs. Just back from Israel, he's the CEO of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and really a handle on American policy today. Also, the passing of Henry Kissinger. He's 100 years old, but, man, I talked to him at the Al Smith dinner three weeks ago where he was keynote speaker, and he is right on top of things. He just got back from China at 100, so his passing, it's hard to be sad, but, man, what a life. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They realize that this is a wire into what they said was a company with uh, no known purpose, meaning it was a shell company or a fake company. The politically exposed person who owned the account was the son of the former vice president of the United States. This is getting complicated, but it's also getting interesting. There is uh, Chairman Comer. Yesterday with Sean Hannity, more proof where there's the name Hunter Biden, there is fire, there's smoke and a mysterious bank account. The latest activity, perhaps the most disturbing yet, and his closed door testimony awaits. Number two. Look, if Biden died tomorrow and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? I think they have no cards. And they're looking at this this game, and I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty, and they're depending upon Trump getting convicted. 2024, Biden spiraling, gapping, but still running as it becomes clear as an opportunity exists for a Republican sweep of every branch of government. The Hail Mary, demonized, institutionalized, jail Donald Trump, and let him bring the party down with him. Will that work? Number one. And so he's under pressure. And he doesn't want to alienate what has become, thanks to his own efforts, an important part of his constituency. So he seems to be kind of straddling, supporting Israel, and yet saying now, but don't be too mean to the Palestinians. So I think that's where he is. I think he's kind of trapped here. Talking about the president, that is, of course, the great Brit Hume. Pause remains on pause. More hostage releases lead to another day delay as Israel keeps getting people back but have to give up every three prisoners for every three innocent hostages they get. Evidence grows that President Biden is going wobbly on his support as the anti-Israeli movement, which is mostly Democrats, come almost all Democrats, comes right to our front door at 1211 6th Avenue. And Fox, I wasn't here, but they could not stop the Christmas tree lighting just across the street at Rockefeller Plaza. So evidently they came to us where we have the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, and of course Fox News. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, Nazis, white supremacists, uh, pro-Hamas. Uh, Good luck. Uh, Go find another country if that's you out there protesting. You're allowed to do it, but what you represent is despicable. What you don't understand is uh, American. It's in America's interest to support Israel. The dedication, the loyalty between that nation and ours is really superior to any in the world. But yet you chose the other side. 
Just like you want to take a knee during the national anthem with the U.S. soccer team. Everything American, these clowns who decide to protest and swarm and screw up the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Day parade, stop traffic, that's what they represent. But really, keep your eye on the prize, Mr. President. Your instincts were right. Back them up. Let them eradicate Hamas. Let them finish the job. Get hostages out. I get it. But let them win. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham, knowing that in the big picture, it's going to be all about dealing with Iran, too. Cut five. Let me tell my friends in Egypt and the United Arab Emirates, if you go into BRICS and join an organization made up of Iran, Russia and China, you're going to make an enemy of me. Let me tell my friends in Saudi Arabia, I want you to normalize with Israel. I'd like to have a strategic relationship with you. But if you join BRICS, an organization basically controlled by Russia, uh, China and Iran, Uh, You will be an enemy of the United States. Biden has lost all respect and all fear to the Republican Party. Let's stand up for Israel without equivocation. Let's put pressure on the Biden administration to protect our troops. President Biden does not have the backs of those serving in Syria and Iraq. Mr. President, President Biden, you need to let the Iranians know if you keep trying to kill Americans, we're coming after you. Those are some of the things we need to do in foreign policy. In terms of the fight, they got to let him fight. I know it's going to be tough. Evidently, Axios was reporting that the president made it clear to Netanyahu, you got to fight a lot more surgical in the south than you did in the north because you told everyone to go south. And I get that, but I don't think they need to be told that. You know, there's not one of these blind rage, I'm drunk and I'm just trying to kill people. They know that every innocent person killed is not their objective and works against their cause. And they don't like killing people, unlike Hamas, who would have killed every Israeli if they could have, if they weren't stopped. That according to people who've been debriefed on television. So it's a very tough situation. Former Army Special Forces Green Beret Derek Anderson, cut to. I think the Biden administration should probably see uh, the looks on some of these hostages' faces as they're being released from Hamas. You know, Trace, it's really interesting to see uh, what Hamas's PR uh, campaign and narrative is right now. You know, if you look at the Hamas soldiers as they're transferring the hostages from their vans over to the Red Cross vans, right? They're in their uniforms. They've got their bandanas on. They've mm-hmm. got their faces covered, which I would argue... Uh, why don't they uncover their faces? Show the, show the world no. who you are. Um, and, you know, you look at the faces on these hostages as they're being transferred over. And you see how shell-shocked they are. Some of these kids are, refused to speak over a whisper because they were told if they spoke up, they'd be killed, forced to watch all the videos, some of which their own families being killed. We're just starting to get the details now. I don't think there's any rush. We just picture what it is and hope for the best. It is interesting that the head of this operation, who was in jail for 20 years of Hamas, met with some of the hostages in the tunnels. And one 85-year-old told him off, said, you should be ashamed of yourself. We're the ones going for peace with Israel. We're, you're, we're the ones who wanted peace with Gaza. And you kidnapped and killed us. And he evidently said nothing back. But hopefully he'll be dead soon. The scary thing is... Sometimes you let people out of prison or prisoner exchange and they go on the straight and narrow. It doesn't seem like any of these guys come on the straight and narrow. They become more determined to be terrorists. Unless you have the son of Hamas who's out there now, who we've interviewed a number of times, who left the organization, turned on the organization, turned on his own family. But those pro-Palestinian protesters, 
carrying swastikas, swarmed Midtown, swarmed our building yesterday. Multiple arrests were made. There was swastika was seen on display aiming, uh, aim, armed, uh, aimed at protesting Rockefeller Center's annual tree lighting. Think about this. Why would you have a swastika related to Israel unless you're taunting them? You're actually thinking they embrace that? That swastika was used to eradicate Jews from the face of the earth. Millions died. Some were burned in ovens. Do you think that you can actually associate a swastika positively with Israel? Or is that what you plan on doing? Attacks on U.S. forces continue. Now we're seeing now a uh, since November 23rd, it's been kind of quiet. Well, yesterday there was some more attacks. U.S. Navy warship shot down an Iran-produced Houthi drone. They got right near them. U.S. Central Command said approximately... 11 o'clock in the South Red Sea, uh, the USS Destroyer Kearney shot down the Iranian-produced uh, KAS-04 unmanned aerial vehicle launched from the Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Now, I don't sit there, and I know some 9-11 families listening to me right now. I understand. I am not saying Saudi Arabia is this, this uh, uh, great democracy. Never will be. Little by little, they're opening up. But I far prefer having an alliance with Saudi Arabia than anything to do with Iran. Every time you try to isolate them, they say, fine, I got 1-800-CHINA. I got 1-800-RUSSIA. I could always uh, I could always get in touch with other democracies like Japan. If you want to walk away, America, just know this. You walk away from oil, gas, possible investment, positive in uh, Saudi Arabia, and Saudi investment in us. And then you walk to the Houthi rebels, really? They were rocketing Saudi Arabia. You took them off the terror watch list. You condemned Saudi Arabia as a pariah nation. This all led to what we're doing right now, allowing Iran to, to sell their oil, to keep the oil price down because we're not producing like we should. That's one of the factors. You get, they get that money. They're not making lives better for their people. They're making lives better and getting more guns and weapons to Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and those militias in Iraq. That's what happened. I'd have a lot more respect for you, President Biden, if you stood up and said, man, did I blow it? Watch what I do for the next 11 months. So when we come back, I'll take your calls on this. And also, if you're going to write me, uh, you could write me right now. You could uh, join Locals and uh, find out about it, uh, Locals.com. I got my own site. We're building up our own community there so people can get directly in touch with me. I can read what you have to say and get right back to you rather than these mass emails. So you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Look, if Biden died tomorrow, and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? They're going to put her on the moon? Like, what are they going to do? She's the vice president. I think they have no cards. And they're looking at this this game, and I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty. 
And they're depending upon Trump getting convicted yeah. and arrested. I mean, and, and um, uh, imprisoned rather. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think it is. It doesn't seem. To, it seems like it's a bunch of trumped up charges. No pun intended. And and they tell you it bothers me for the country, because you know you will look at it, Joe Biden's track record. He's got thirty seven percent approval rating. I don't know where the thirty seven percent is. And then the people that agree with him are upset with him about the is Israel uh, stance, which is the right stance. And as green as this clown is, as this president is. With all the things that he jammed down our throats and the mandates uh, and the sub- uh, subsidies with electric cars and the windmills that don't work and the solar panels that we're buying from China, that's still not good enough for the far left. So this whole base is falling apart. And he was already shedding Hispanic votes. He's shedding African-American votes. He's shedding young votes. And people are looking at Trump's record. He's not doing a lot. Trump is not doing a lot. And I think it's intentional. So he's not doing a lot. And they're going after him, and they've taken every little thing he says. Look, he's extremist. He's a fascist. He is Hitler. Now, think about this. If Trump kills onto this lead, becomes the nominee, and I'm not saying he will, but it looks like he is. Governor Haley's coming on strong, getting Ken Langone, getting, um, uh, getting the, the Koch brothers, you know, having well-received in uh, South Carolina, seems to be pulling ahead in some, in some states against DeSantis. But let's just say it's Trump. If he wins the election like he should on just pure merit, people are going to think the country is over, that there's not going to be any democracy. He's going to take your rights away. He's going to take freedom away. The stuff that they're saying about him, if people believe this, and judging by what people are saying now about things like October 7th being totally fiction, they'll believe anything, a a huge portion of the masses. The country will just be, be split in half. I'm not going to listen to Trump. I'm not going to pay attention to Trump. But if you're doing that 13 months out, I just hope people see through it and will not be manipulated like they were subtly with Silicon Valley and Facebook and Instagram and uh, now TikTok. I hope people are wising up and taking control of their lives. Last night at this New Jersey book signing, I, I was able to talk for probably a half hour and I took questions for another 15, 20 Um. And I got this question a lot. How do I know what to look at to know what's true? Of course, foxnews.com. Get it. Our show. I'm biased by our show. If I say something's not true, it's by mistake. But they go, well, you know, I read something, I see something, and I'm thinking to myself, is this true? How do I know? And then when Apple says, we'll verify, people go, really? You're going to verify it? Oh, Facebook, you're going to verify it? With your Zuckerbucks? You're going to verify it? Matt Taibbi exposed what Twitter was? going to verify it? I mean, I trust more what's on Twitter, but I wouldn't say would everybody who posts things are correct. I mean, there's still some institutions that you can you can trust, but always be skeptical. Always read more than one thing. You pick up the Washington Post and the Washington Times. You take a look at the New York Post and take a look at the Daily News. Look at the editorials, and then you say, you know, a lot of the stuff they said has turned out to be true. This stuff was reported accurately. This is a columnist and a show I can believe in. And you're just going to have to do your own homework, even if you don't do this for a living like I'm. we are lucky enough to do. You're going to have to do your own homework. So let's go look at 2024. Looks like Joe Manchin is showing indications he's going to run. And he says, never before in our history has there a better opportunity, it seems, to run as a third-party candidate and have a legitimate shot. To me, that walking tour, that listening tour, might have Joe Manchin jumping in. Why? Well, he's 76 years old, looks younger, looks very healthy, and he cannot hold on to that Senate seat. 
but he is well-known, well-known name recognition. His problem is that both sides resent him for not going all the way for Republicans and not being there for Democrats. So Joe Rogan coming out saying what he's saying is 100% right. The thing that's going to also help Trump is that RFK, Cornell West, uh, Jill Stein are all in this thing. Could they all jump out at the last minute? Maybe. But you want to hear polarization? So we know this. Part of the reason, if you think about it, one of the things that you found, you might have found, uh, that got you angry about Trump, he sent federal troops into places like Portland. He said, I should send the National Guard into places like Chicago. He said, you got to crack down on crime in New York City. And people go, stay out of this. What do you know about us? I don't want to see federal troops. The mayor marching against us. Now we see crime totally out of control in almost every major city. We see illegal immigration. Oh, he's so mean to Hispanics. No, he's not. He just wanted to reinforce our border. Oh, he's family separation policies. I knew the intent. They quickly reversed that policy. He read the books. Melania got as mad at him as as any Democrat. Reversed it. But you know his intent was to stop the magnet. If I separate the families because they were breaking the law by coming here, like if you were caught doing a deal with a DUI, they take away your kids, they bring you to prison, and they send your kids somewhere safe. That's what they were doing. It didn't work. It wasn't right. It was too, too abrasive. I got it. That's not child separation. But as you look at all these different pockets and his policies, it causes so much controversy. Remember, one of the first things he said is, um, I got to get rid of these sanctuary cities. And then the sanctuary cities sued back to keep sanctuary city status in place. Now, how do you feel? You got 12,000 people in Chicago that you can't handle. You have almost 100,000 costing $5 billion a year to New York City. We're now cutting library hours in cops because of it. Now, how do you feel about President Trump's sanctuary city policy? But listen, these crazies can't see it. Like one of the worst mayors ever, Mayor Brandon Johnson of Chicago, Listen to what he says is the problem. Cut 23. Quite frankly, uh, they've been very intentional about going after democratically ran cities that are led by people of color. And their whole motivation is to create disruption and chaos because that's what this, that particular party has been about. Right? This is the same political party that did not want to accept that President Obama was actually an American. It's the same Republican right-wing extremism that stormed the Capitol. It's the same right-wing extremism that refuses to accept the results of the Civil War. It's raggedy. It's disrespectful. It's mean-spirited. It's an unclean spirit, quite frankly. And so, so I got you. I got you. I just want to make sure that people understand what we're facing. Number one, you idiot. It was the Democrats who didn't want to face up to results of the Civil War. Lincoln was a Republican. Frederick Douglass was a Republican. Are you in, are you that are that uneducated? Number two, storming the Capitol wasn't a policy. That was something that was a bad day, terrible day. Nobody makes excuses for it. That's not a policy. If you want to see what the problem is, your governor said zero cash bail. Your pre, your predecessor said cops can't chase down bandits. Your state said you could steal up to $1,000 worth of goods from any retail shop. That's your problem, not race. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We don't support uh, displacement outside of Gaza. And look, most of these people don't want to leave. It's their home. 
Um, now, they've been internally displaced to a fairly well, obviously, particularly out of the north. And so, as we've also said, is that we don't support southern operations uh, unless or until the Israelis uh, can show that they have accounted for all the internally displaced people of Gaza. That was uh, Admiral Kirby, obviously, talking about the, the situation now. We're at a big pause. Another day it's going to be extended. We're supposed to, that means 10 get out. That, that's the word. 10 get out, and you get a pause. And now we're, we're uh, two extra days in overtime, and Israel has to go back. The question is, what are you going to do with world opinion, mostly against him, them going back, hoping for a sustained peace? Nobody who looks at the situation rationally would ever think it's in Israel's interest to not finish off Hamas. Anybody who just wants Hamas to live another day and just essentially get detention would allow it to stop right now. Mark Dubowitz knows all this. He's the CEO of Foundation for Defensive Democracies, and he was just over in Israel. Mark, we got an extension on the hostages. Uh, do you think it was a good move to let the, the prime minister said, you give me 10, you get a pause. So every day that you give me 10, you get a pause. In turn, they get on the average 30 back, 30 prisoners. Yeah, Brian, and 30 prisoners who've been uh, either arrested or convicted of terrorism offenses um, who were trying to kill uh, Israelis. In fact, today there was another terrorist attack in Jerusalem where two terrorists who had been formally jailed for terrorism offenses um, killed three Israelis and injured, uh, injured dozens. So it's a stark reminder of the hundreds of Palestinians that are being released, uh, including into Jerusalem as part of this hostage deal. So what was your sense when you went over there? Uh, we know about this as a country at war. We also heard about random attacks that took place. One was, it seems to be, Hamas-related attacks. Uh, shootings took place in, in uh, two separate cities already, separate from the war effort in the middle of a pause. So what was your sense when you were there, Mark? Well, I think on one hand, I mean, the Israeli government has no choice but to try to get as many of the hostages back. I also fear that many more hostages are actually dead than are um, being publicly reported. On the other hand, uh, you know, Israel has to continue, as you said, Brian. I mean, if they emerge standing, Hamas has made it clear that they will repeat the October 7th atrocities over and over again. So there's no Israeli prime minister who cannot finish the job, because if he doesn't, Israelis are not going back to live in their homes in the southern border. And by the way, you know, speaking of displaced persons, there are a quarter million displaced Israelis, about 170,000 from the south, 80,000 from the north, who are not in their homes, you know, who are now currently living in the center of Israel, uh, who aren't going back until Israel is able to deal both with Hamas and, and with Hezbollah on the northern border. What have they been told about possibly taking uh, the fight to Hezbollah? Well, the, certainly the Israeli military wants to do that. They, they recognize that they have to. I mean, Hezbollah is even more dangerous enemy than Hamas. They've got thousands of these hardened uh, Hezbollah terrorists right on the northern border there, 150,000 missiles, including precision-guided missiles that can do severe damage to Israeli population centers. And the Israeli military wants to do it. The United States is putting mass pressure on the Israeli government not to open up a second front. And how serious do you think they are? Are these just words, or do you think those are actions? Well, the Israelis are serious. The United States could turn uh, words into action by delaying or stopping military resupply. Uh, obviously, Israel depends on the United States for, for a number of key weapon systems and ammunition. And certainly, if the Biden administration wanted to put uh, serious pressure on Israel, they could 
they could stop that resupply. I mean, there would be a huge confrontation between the Israeli government and the Biden administration over that, and hopefully Congress would weigh in and uh, put counter pressure on the Biden administration. But it, that could end up being a, a serious crisis in U.S.-Israel relations. Mark, tell me if this is correct. It, they say some people have speculated that uh, the Israelis have heard the IDF has already taken out between two and 5,000 Hamas fighters, but about 20,000 remain, and most are in the in the in the south, and, they, and they're ready for this confrontation. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I, I heard the numbers around 5,500 uh, Hamas fighters of a total force, maybe about 30,000, but you know, many of them melted away into the south. Um, I mean, my fear, Brian, is, and I, I talked to the Israeli military about this, is that this sounds very similar to what happened in 2003 in the Iraq war when we came in in the first 100 days and wiped out Saddam's frontline forces. But Many of his uh, special forces and generals and hardened fighters had melted away and were planning a vicious insurgency against us. So I think the Israeli military is obviously preparing for that in the south, and they understand that uh, they're going to be confronting a uh, a hardened force uh, buried deep in the tunnels uh, waiting for them to inflict as many casualties as, as possible. Mark, the other thing is we were told the Axos is reporting, and I don't think anyone thinks this is not true, that President Biden said you got to be much more surgical about going in the south and just much more surgical than you were in the north because they did say go south and you'll be safe. So there's got to be a plan, a, I guess, a, uh, some type of corridor to let civilians get out, so to speak, and then be able to find out who is leaving to make sure fighters aren't leaving. But in the big picture, how, how um, firm, as Secretary of State Blinken sits in on the War Council meeting in Israel today, how firm are the, the Biden team on Netanyahu and company? Well, I think the big concern, and we saw this in, in President Biden's tweet a couple of days ago, which his senior administration officials sort of walked back. It was one of those you know, classic uh, cleanup on aisle seven where Joe Biden has said something. But this case was a tweet, and the tweet suggested that uh, the war should be brought to an end. Um, and that means permanent ceasefire, and that means Hamas left standing and the winner in this uh, confrontation after its you know, brutal attack on Israel. I, I think the Israelis are worried about that. The Biden administration is going to find excuses to, uh, to extend the ceasefire and make it permanent. The Israelis are planning with humanitarian corridors, with places in southern Gaza where, where Gazans can, uh, can seek refuge. And remember, Brian, you've got this vast territory of Sinai, right? It's owned by, by Egypt. And it's right over the Gaza border. And the president of Egypt, Sisi, has refused to allow any Gazans into Sinai, despite the fact that it is an empty territory where they could set up uh, homes. In fact, there's thousands of apartments that are currently not being used. But the Egyptians have been adamant, no Palestinians into Sinai. Why? Well, because I think Sisi doesn't want, you know, Hamas. He doesn't want uh, Hamas as part of the global Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood has uh, threatened his government. In fact, he took over from a Muslim Brotherhood leader, Morsi, and he feels that having Palestinians in Sinai would mean Palestinians in Cairo, uh, and he doesn't want to deal with with the violence, incitement, and terrorism that he thinks would, would come from that. So he's basically shut his border. The Jordanians have shut their border. You know, none of them want Palestinians. Um, they, they think this is uh, Israel's problem, and Israel's got to deal with it. Yeah, uh, no, it's everybody. But at the same time, they're condemning these actions and trying to uh, call for a ceasefire. When they know if Hamas lives, their life is more difficult. You can't kill all of them, but we're seeing with ISIS and Al Qaeda, you can suppress, you can diminish. Constant vigilance can go a long way to stopping this terrorist scourge. 
That's exactly right, Brian. I mean, and by the way, your your point on on these Arab leaders is exactly right. I mean, I've been speaking to these Arab leaders, and in private, they'll tell you they want Israel to demolish Hamas. They understand that Hamas is not only a threat to Israel, but a threat to them, a threat to the region. And there's no way to have peace and prosperity and stability in the region if Hamas survives, if Hezbollah survives. And by the way, all of this will be a huge victory for the Islamic Republic of Iran and the Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, who's been orchestrating all of these attacks sitting in Tehran. Uh, and not being uh, and not being touched. So uh, when we look at this now, uh, I don't know how many more they have to get uh, to give up. But they say that they are not Hamas says they're not in control of all the hostages. Can you give me the dynamic there and tell me how it really works? Are they a bunch of gangs like Crips and Bloods who don't speak to each other but have the same objective, create havoc, or is it Hamas in charge of Islamic Jihad and all the other sects? And it's just a matter of them saying, hand back the hostages, or do they have to actually go in and find them? No, Hamas is in control of the territory. All of these dozen Palestinian terrorist organizations that operate in Gaza are part of a joint Palestinian command center. They coordinate military activities, political activities. They know, they know where the hostages are, and Hamas is just playing the shell game, um, using it as you know, a form of both emotional uh, mm-hmm. torture for Israelis who are waiting to hear from their loved ones, as well as playing games with the United States, the Qataris, and the Egyptians, and, and pretending that they don't know where the, where the hostages are. Again, I fear that there aren't as many live hostages left um, as, as people assume. I, I think maybe perhaps dozens of them have been killed, and there may, may be very few left to hand over. I, I really hope I'm wrong, but that's my fear. Um in the big picture, and by the way, I'm talking to Mark Dubowitz, CEO of Foundation for Defense of Democracies. We have to make more weapons. We've got to do it quicker. We've got to in- increase our industrial base. We have to expand the number of companies that make these weapons. For-profit business. This is not a charity. So this could be a for-profit business and a massive investment. And as we see, Taiwan needs weapons. Ukraine needs weapons. Eastern Europe realizes they can't de- depend on old 1980s uh, versions of Russia, uh, Soviet weaponry if they're going to be effective NATO members. So we have customers out there, some of which can write checks for this money, but we're not capable of getting these arms out. For example, how long has Taiwan waited for what they ordered 18 months ago? So how how hard would it be, from what you know, Mark, to expand our military industrial base? Well, Brian, we've done it. We've shown. We, we did it in World War II. We went for, literally from zero to being the, the arsenal of democracy. We did it during the Cold War. Again, you know, we went through after World War II a significant decrease in our, in our military posture, and we had to increase it again to, to fight the Cold War. And your point is exactly right. I mean, this is, this is big business for defense contractors, right? There are a lot of, there are a lot of clients out there around the world who, uh, who will pay for this. In fact, even the military aid we give, for example, to Israel, we give them $3.8 billion a year. Most of that $3.8 billion has to be spent on U.S. systems, U.S. weaponry, and it creates American jobs. So in a sense, it's almost like an off-balance sheet uh, financing from, from the Pentagon. Uh, Israel gets its weapons, but we get the jobs. So this is a we have to do it. If we don't do it, no one will do it. And I think our allies around the world are also recognizing they're very vulnerable to American pressure. Um, if they're also not domesticating their own defense industry, I, I know the Israelis are, are thinking long and hard about that now. We mentioned the discussion about Hezbollah and how the Biden administration could use the threat of slowing down military resupply to prevent Israel from taking care of its most dangerous enemy on, on, on its northern border, you know, Israel needs to have its own ammunition, its own JDAMs, its own small diameter bombs, 
um, and be able to resupply itself. So that's certainly the case for Ukraine, for Taiwan, and our allies around the world. And um, again, we're either going to be the arsenal of democracy or we're going to leave our allies vulnerable to uh, these enemies and, and therefore the homeland vulnerable to them as well. Yeah, I just hope uh, I hope we understand that that would be something to run on and it doesn't have to be a partisan issue. You could run on this, explain it uh, and understand we need to do it because we have another country that is doing it themselves and they don't wait for votes or, or approval polls. Lastly, Ukraine holding on forced the Russian Navy really out of Crimea. Some remarkable accomplishments. They are able to export their own grain, created their own corridor, uh, holding strong. But where do you see this war right now? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, again, you, you've got a situation where the Biden administration has been drip, drip, dripping weapon systems into Ukraine, not giving the Ukrainians what they need to really fight the Russians and really inflict significant damage. The Ukrainians have been fighting courageously the way the Israelis have been fighting courageously. Um, but yet not getting what they need in order to to win. And so what I I fear is there's going to be a stalemate and there's going to be immense pressure on Ukraine for a ceasefire, and there's going to have to become some kind of negotiated settlement with Putin, which will leave Putin standing and declaring victories. Sound familiar? That's, That's exactly what's happening right now in Israel with Hamas and the Biden administration, right? There's this unwillingness to give our allies what they need, the political support and the military support, to inflict damage on America's enemies. It's not just their enemies, it's our enemies. And if, if we allow these stalemates to continue and these ceasefires, premature ceasefires to be imposed, that's, that's just bad for U.S. national security. Right. And so far, it's out of sight, out of mind. But Ukraine's in the fight every single day, and now they're in the, mo- in the middle of another brutal winter. How has uh, the Russia economy recovered like it has? It's recovered because uh, the U.S. has been unwilling to really engage in, in serious financial warfare against uh, the Russian economy. Also, we've been unwilling to enforce sanctions against those countries that have provided opportunities for massive sanctions busting for the Russians. Um, so we haven't been serious. We haven't been serious about military warfare. We haven't been serious about financial warfare. And at the end of the day, the Ukrainians are fighting essentially alone uh, against this this Russian behemoth. And um, again, it's we got to be serious about using American power. If we're not serious about American power, um, American will, America will no longer be a power. Go get him. Uh, Mark, you do this every day. He's the CEO of Foundation for Democracies. Mark Dubowitz, thank you. Brian, thanks so much for having me. You got it. one 866 408 Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Also, sometime today, George Santos is going to find out if he's going to be expelled from Congress without being convicted of everything. As despicable of a guy he is, it's kind of a weird precedent to set, don't you think? Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. They keep talking about Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. Our government does not fund Hamas. Our government funds Israel. Our government funds genocide. Our government funds killing of babies. To hear them them complain about Hamas violence is like listening to a wife beater complain when his wife finally stands up and fights back. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. 
I support the right of Palestinians to resist occupation, including through Hamas, the armed wing of the unified Palestinian resistance. Resistance to colonialism is not terrorism. Is this unbelievable? This is in Oakland. They were voting to condemn the attacks on Hamas. They voted down six to two. And these people were getting up saying that the Israelis actually made up or attacked their own people or it never happened, period. We thought the Holocaust denier was such a niche thing, like that's for a crazy Ayatollah in Iran. But now you see in two months, virtually two months, already people saying things didn't happen. Now there's video and Hamas posted it. Do you believe the perpetrators? It's like the SS. If they said, okay, not only did I do it, I filmed it and I'm bragging about it. It's where we got some of the films, I imagine. But these guys said we did it, and they're saying we didn't do it. Hamas goes, no, no, I want the credit. And then we see uh, the Fatah, which is his uh, Palestinian authority. They were bragging that they want credit for it because they showed up too when the fight started, and they killed people and kidnapped people. I don't think they kidnapped, but they just killed people. They were, they were so proud of themselves. And yet you have people in Oakland swearing that this is not true because, I don't know, they read it on the Internet. Yeah, probably. Maybe TikTok. There's conspiracy theorists or influencers who said, yeah, by the way, this, this whole thing the government's telling you, not true. Nobody trusts anyone. But this was not a hard, this is not a big leap because the, the killers actually want the credit for killing. You don't even need a trial. They actually admitted to it once arrested. Some were detained, some were arrested, and they admitted exactly what they wanted to do. When asked, how far would you have gone? They said we would kill as many people as possible for as long as we could be, uh, be in that country. And they thought this was going to be a 20-minute operation, and the IDF would be mobilized, confronting them. Instead, they were in for hours without any confrontation on military bases. It's one of the biggest mysteries how they were able to pull this off. And that still has not been even close to investigated yet. But that's exactly what happened. So you see what Israel's up against? You're asking people to understand your point of view if they don't even believe what caused this military action and this military response. Colonialists. Do you know anything about how Israel got to be Israel? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out more on how to get Teddy and Booker T. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 7669 Last night, uh, you saw all those clowns, those protesters coming to our building at 1211 6th Avenue. Didn't get in. We have great security, but they couldn't interrupt the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting, so they decided to wreak havoc on the streets, all for the cause of Hamas and the Palestinians, a cause they didn't even know about, weren't even thinking about, before the massacre on October 7th. This hour, we're going to talk to Senator Rick Scott about that. He wants six more years as senator in Florida. I've got to talk to him about the big debate tonight with Sean Hannity hosting, uh, moderating, I should say, between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. This should be awesome. And at 1034, Bob Vanderplatz, uh, CEO, Vanderplatz the CEO uh, of the family leader, one of the most influential people in Iowa, and he has thrown his support behind Ron DeSantis. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They realize that this is a wire into what they said was a company with uh, no known purpose, meaning it was a shell company or a fake company. The politically exposed person who owned the account was the son of the former vice president of the United States. That is James Comer. More proof than when there's a name hunter, there's a lot of smoke and a lot of fire and a mysterious bank account. The latest activity, perhaps the most disturbing, we'll talk about it. Number two. Look, if Biden died tomorrow, and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? I think they have no cards. And they're looking at this this game, and I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty, and they're depending upon Trump getting convicted. Well, Trump gets convicted, and he can't run, even though he can run. Uh, Nikki Haley beats him by 11, and so does Ron DeSantis beats him in almost every poll. Biden spiraling, gaffing, but still running as it becomes clear. An opportunity exists for Republicans to sweep every branch of government. The Hail Mary. For Democrats, demonize and institutionalize and arrest Donald Trump and let it, let him bring the rest of the party down with them. Will that work? Number one. And so he's under pressure and he doesn't want to alienate what has become, thanks to his own efforts, an important part of his constituency. So he seems to be kind of straddling, supporting Israel and yet saying now, but don't be too mean to the Palestinians. So I think that's where he is. I think he's kind of trapped here. Pause remains unpaused. More hostage releases lead Israel to keep the war on the sidelines another day. Hamas has released some more prisoners, excuse me, hostages today. As evidence grows that Biden is going mobbly in his support for Israel, that anti-Israel movement's hurting him politically, but he should just do the right thing, don't you think? That's what I think. So we are waiting to find out more information, but it looks like more hostages are coming out, and that's a good thing. You just heard me speak in a previous hour to Mark Dubowitz of Defense of Democracies. He believes that some of these hostages sadly have lost their life already. They've already uh, passed away. But for the Israelis, they cannot stop short of a total annihilation of Hamas. And a lot of people are saying that it's going to drive uh, it's going to drive the Arab base wild and all these uh, democracies against them. But Israel has no choice. As random attacks continue to take place in almost every city, they moved out of the north, and a lot of them moved out of the south to get away from Hezbollah and Hamas. Total disruption. Derek Anderson, former Green Beret, was on uh, with Trace Gallagher last night, cut three. You know, we've seen some of the hostages that just have these grim faces staring the Hamas terrorists down. We see some of them pushing their hands away. Uh, we see some of the Hamas terrorists trying to carry the elderly out. That That is their narrative they're trying to push right now. And as we're starting to get the counts, uh, the recounts of all these hostages uh, day by day, we're starting to see some of the terrible things that these Hamas terrorists did to these hostages while they were in captivity. Yeah, and we're getting some of the accounts. And we heard about the kids who kept in cages, women kept in cages. We heard about the kids being told you better not cry no matter what you see, no matter what you do. Told they can't speak above a whisper for the entire time. Still, kids have not made that adjustment. Ben Dominich on, on the diminishing support for Israel in and around these countries and the support for the Palestinian side, which has no plan, the no two-state solution, wants just to wipe out Israel, which isn't going to happen. Cut 11.
The latest NBC news, news poll shows that 70 percent of voters, 18 to 34, mm -hmm. support the Palestinian side in this situation, the Gaza side of this situation, not Israel. And what the most important thing that Chuck Schumer said today, I thought, was his acknowledgement that for so long he's been targeting, you know, neo-Nazis, Klan members, et cetera, on things he views as coming from the right. But he said that, you know, for many of us, we feel like as liberal Jews, there are people who are fellow travelers with us politically for many years who are betraying us at this moment. I think that's the most honest thing I've heard from a Democrat on this issue, really, since it became uh, a prominent in, here in Washington. I was waiting for Chuck Schumer to do more. As he said yesterday, he's the most prominent, high-ranking Jewish official in maybe uh, in America right now, no doubt, and maybe ever. And he took forever to come 50-plus days to say much officially, even though he traveled there and does voice support. But he finally gave a 40-minute speech. And how odd is this? 18 to 34, as you just heard the stats, don't agree with Chuck Schumer. They were Democratic voters. The squad, which is a lot bigger than ever before, and their voice is not as isolated as it used to be, disagrees with them. The bulk of Columbia University, a liberal bastion, student body, disagrees with them. University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, Yale, disagrees with them. This is, they disagree with what Joe Biden's doing. These are the same, you know, Ben Cardin, Chuck Schumer, a couple other senators and Menendez, all didn't want the... The nuclear deal with Iran, they said this is a problem. It's going to be a problem for Israel. We should not be voting to support this nuclear deal that Barack Obama drew up. It's terrible. Not many people know that. The reason why Trump was able to turn it over, tear it up, is because they never passed as a treaty. Because more people disapproved it in the Senate than approved, including Democratic voters. That's what makes this thing, it makes you think. It's not, well, Democrats think this, Republicans think that. Not now. So this guy who's in charge of Hamas was in jail for 20 years. Uh, he uh, is actually, this Gaza leader was confronted by uh, Yavshin Lifshitz. Uh, this is according to an Israeli newspaper. He went up to the CEO of Hamas, that evil terror organization, and was, she's 85 years old. She told the Israeli newspaper, Devar, that Yaha Sinwar, paid the hostage a visit and was with us three to four days after we arrived. This according to Reuters. She said, quote, I asked him how he is not ashamed to do such a thing to the people who, who all these years have supported peace. He didn't answer. He was silent. And what does she mean? I can't tell you the inside of uh, every kibbutz in Israel, obviously. But evidently, that's an extremely left-wing area that has all these missions into Gaza to help out, will push for peace and wanted them to get additional rights and to let down some of the border security that was hurting their prosperity. When the people hurting their prosperity was actually Hamas using their money for weapons instead of roads and bridges and lifestyle and hotels to bring people in. So that's interesting that this guy who was in jail for 20 years is right there. And that's why the Israelis got to go back. He's there. Now, yesterday... Uh, the pro-Palestinian protesters carrying swastikas stickers swarmed Midtown. They could not get to the Christmas tree lighting, but they could get here. You know, the NYPD cops said they were chanting river to the sea, which means wipe out Israel and just force them into the ocean where they all drown. They were waving Palestinian flags and signs calling for the end, of geno end to genocide. Really? They know what happened on October 7th? The protests have been taking shape outside of the News Corp building, the one I'm in right now in Midtown Manhattan, spiraled into chaos. But I walked in this morning, a lot of bike racks, 
bike rack barkings, but there was no damage. We had to go into the side door, not the revolving door, but they did not accomplish their goal. And I'm happy about that. The other thing is uh, to, uh, important to bring up in New York City is because of these protests and the overtime for the NYPD and the disbanding of two or three academies that were not full of, of, of rookie cops. They were going to go through the academy training. They now, because of these illegal immigrants and some of these, the, the money that costs for overtime to handle some of these protests, we can't keep libraries open on Sunday. We now have to revisit how many cops and firefighters that we have, and we're cutting people from the health and human services. That's what's got to be done. When we come back, Senator Rick Scott's going to be in here. Tell me what's happening on Capitol Hill. First and foremost, I'm going to ask him about the aid package, about Taiwan or uh, Israel, as well as Ukraine, the chance of that passing, and what they exactly need at the border in that package to get it signed and done and our, our allies armed before Christmas. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, so glad you're here. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you believe a Chinese-owned um, social media platform, which virtually everybody in the country is now looking at on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis, needs to be regulated or uh, in some states, as you know, they're, they're trying to ban it completely. I think we should take very seriously the fact that not only individuals, but nation states take very significant measures to undermine the democracy of the United States of America. And, and the view on the social media piece, though, it, you, you don't have a specific view on, on TikTok itself. I'm not commenting. He won't, she will not disassociate herself with TikTok. And you know why? Because most young people are on it. They wanted to be voters. Instead, they're going to pay for influencers to start getting their message across how great the economy is, how great their foreign policy is. And they'll sit down for interviews with people with nose rings and no shoes and hiked up pants and purple hair. That's what we watched. We watched Barack Obama do it. So how do you ban TikTok, even though it's right for the, uh, the country, at the same time buying time on TikTok? Senator Rick Scott has no doubt about it. We should ban it. Homeland Security and Armed Services Committee members going for another term in office. Senator, what's your stance on her lack of stance? <laughs> Why do they let her do interviews? I mean, that's, that's what I always wonder. I mean, of course she's not going to take a position because she wants to be, you know, she wants to be for everything. Uh, the, the Barack Obama approach, he, approach he's for everything. Um, so he's for Hamas, he's for Israel, he's for everybody. Uh, but TikTok, it's it's toxic. It's toxic to our to our kids. It's toxic to our society. Ban it. Get rid of it. I mean, this is this is just pure propaganda by the Chinese Party of of uh, uh, China. So get rid of it. It's real simple. How strong is that lobby? Oh, oh gosh, you wouldn't believe the Chinese lobby. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been up here five years, and as you said, I'm running for re-election. The, the, with the Chinese lobby, and and you look at stuff that is so simple that you're trying to get past, and you think, how could anybody be against this? 
Um, and but they are. I mean, we, we, we've been working on stuff to say, you know, just disclose if you invest in China. Right. We want to know if you're if you have money tied, tied up in China, maybe, we know, then you have a conflict of interest and they fight that. I mean, it's you, you wouldn't believe everything I'm trying to do to hold China, the Communist Party of China accountable is a just a fight. The dollars they're spending on lobbyists. And so and they get, you know, they'll get somebody to try to you know, help them over you know, somewhere in the House or the Senate. So it makes it hard. Yeah, no doubt about it. So President uh Believe it or not, it looks like uh, Joe Biden is going to go for another four years. Uh, before we talk about him, I want to talk about tonight. Governor DeSantis, I know you two aren't great friends, against uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom. It's hard debating a Republican when you agree with 80 percent of what they stand for, most of them. You know, 85 percent, maybe 90. And then yet you've got to get the nomination to go against them when you're going for that primary. And that's what they're in right now. How different is it? In a situation like this, where the person across from you really disagrees with almost everything you do, oh, it should be—it's a piece of cake. I mean, we—you know—I've done debates in, in my um, in my races, and what you do is you just explain to people in com in common sense terms. If you like it high inflation, then you should vote for the Democrat. If you like high mortgage rates and high, you know, interest rates on your car or your credit card rates, you should vote for the Democrats. If you want higher crime, hey, they're all in. If you like open borders, they're there. If you like fentanyl deaths, I mean, Newsom, they're all in because they're all the same. They vote in block. They all just voted in block, Brian, against Israel aid in block. Every every Democrat in the Senate voted against aid for Israel. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. It's, oh no, this will be great to debate because you know he's the opposite of what I think. I don't know what he believes in that I that I believe in. A couple of uh, other thing is speaking yesterday was President Biden. Listen to him in Pebble, Colorado, trying to go to bat for a Bidenomics cut thirteen. We could use it to strengthen the Social Security and Medicare system instead of cutting them, or like Congressman Trump and Bob want to do. We could use it to help millionaires. Millions of families afford, instead of millionaires, millions of families afford a little help with senior care. I mean, did he not get his adrenaline? A congressman? <laughs> Trump? Bobert? Uh, what is he even talking wait, about? First off, that was it last year. Yeah, I think it was last year. Uh, the the Biden and all the Democrats passed legislation to cut billions of dollars out of Medicare. Billions of dollars. When he was in the Senate, he proposed cutting Medicare and Social Security. I mean, it's just a, it's just and 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 he just he'll lie about anything. But but people see it. The job market's tough. Right? It's, they act like oh the unemployment rate low. Go go try to find a good full-time, good-paying job. It's not easy. There's plenty of part-time jobs out there, but good full-time jobs, it's hard. And look at this inflation. If you had a, if something cost you $100 a day Biden got elected, it cost you $118 today. And if you, if you, had, if you, had, if you wanted to buy a $500,000 house the day before Biden took office and you want to have the same, same monthly payment, you'd buy less than $200,000 house today. That's that's why people are mad. They're mad about what Biden has done. And yet he, he's bragging about it. And, Je- and we saw Jamie Dimon say the other day, don't be surprised if interest rates go up more. What does that do to the credit card? What does it do if you're carrying a balance? What does that do if you want to sell your home? You say, I'm not going to leave my 2% mortgage for a 7% mortgage or an 8% mortgage. It makes no sense. It freezes everything. You're a money guy. You're a business guy. Is How do you get out of this? 
balance the budget. It's real simple. I, you know, when I walked in as governor of Florida, Florida was in an economic collapse. Um, we were not living within our means ever. Uh, we, you know, we hadn't balanced the budget in years. Um, we were going into default on our debt. We balanced the budget. We said, we're, this is how much we're going to collect. This is what we're going to spend. It's not that hard. Most people have to do it in their personal life. Most companies have to do it or they'll be out of business. The federal government's got to do the same thing. Think about this, Brian. In the last five years, the population of the country has gone up 1.8%. The budget, Biden's budget, will be up 55%. 55%. I mean, they're just throwing money at everything. You, heard, you see the Wall Street Journal article about the $400 billion slush fund for Green New Deal stuff that one guy gets to allocate out. $400 billion of your money. They just throw out there. I mean, this is this, well, this I mean, is how do you why. How do you make sense of that? Where did they get that money? I mean, the, the Democrats voted for it. And the Democrats voted for it. And they did it as part of the, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, yeah right. Has not reduced inflation. Or the Infrastructure Bill, which had nothing to do with infrastructure. They have nice titles. Um, so that's where they get all this money. They're spending – you wouldn't believe just the, the way this money is wasted up here. So think about this, Brian. How can interest rates go down? If they have to sell another two trillion dollars of treasuries a year, which is what they have to do, we're running almost two trillion dollar deficit. That means they got to get some, some, somebody to go out and pay more money or buy more of these treasuries. So you think interest rates are going to go down if they have to do that? Where do they find these buyers? Yeah. You know, Chinese aren't buying it, Russians aren't buying it, Iranians aren't buying it. Yeah. So they're going to have to find somebody. That's a lot of money. That's Crazy. Uh, Senator Rick Scott running for another term in office in Florida. And right now he has no opponent and obviously no Republican challenger. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So if it comes down to Trump and Biden, which it most likely will, you're going to vote for Trump then? I'm a Republican. Okay, so you will vote for Trump. It's not going to be Trump and Biden. I'm telling you. So, you so here's will be another here. Republican and Biden. I will say this, and, and I mean this quite sincerely: the party yeah. that chooses to move on from Trump or Biden first wins. If the Democrats choose before the Republicans to move on from Biden, before the Republicans choose to move on from Trump, Democrats will win. America is just looking for something new, so a new generation. Enough of this old old school crap. We need to move forward. And so, any new candidate on either side is going to win this this election. Uh, that is Governor Sununu, and he never thought that Trump would get the nomination. Right now, he's, he hasn't gotten anything, but he's primed to take it, and no one's within 20 points. Uh, but it's all going to come down to Iowa. If Ron DeSantis is strong in Iowa, he gets momentum going into uh, to New Hampshire. If he doesn't, uh, then it's hard to see how he survives. And Nikki Haley seems to be picking up a lot of money and hopes to, by attacking DeSantis, be the last one standing. Bob Vanderplantz knows all plots, knows all this. He's the president and CEO of the family leader. It didn't stop him from uh, choosing the Florida governor to endorse. Bob, welcome back. Oh, Brian, good to be on your show. It's been a while. I know. I mean, I got I got to get over to Iowa and, and see some of the uh, see some of the intensity on the ground and, and, and see some Iowans and find about the deliberative process to see those caucuses in action was really educational for me. But okay, Bob, we'd, we'd love ahead. to have you. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, first off, how organized are you when you guys looked around and, and seeing how the caucuses are coming out? We know the Democrats were a mess last time. They couldn't even get a, I don't even think they ever picked a winner. What about the Republicans? 
Well, the Republicans will have their game on. Uh, they're ready for the caucuses. They've done this before. When the votes come in, you'll be able to trust the votes here in the state of Iowa. So, what went into you picking uh, Governor DeSantis? I know you. Uh, I know you've know you know him well. Yeah, well, I, I know him well. But my my big thing is, I really believe I'm one of those guys who believes it's time to turn the page. Time to turn the page to the next generation leader. This is not a vote against Trump. It's a vote for the future of the country. And really, Ron DeSantis is kind of his endorsement to lose from early on, how he's led in the state of Florida. He's been a bold and courageous leader without us trying to push him to be a bold and courageous leader. He took a toss-up state. He won it decisively, won in demographics we we rarely win in. And he just makes it clear uh, he can win. He can lead on day one. He can lead for two terms. He can be focused on defending this country versus defending himself. And to me, that was key. He made that um, argument at our Thanksgiving family forum. That kind of sealed the deal for me. He did. He made, uh, I think he's one of the few candidates ever outside. uh, Senator Grassley does it all the time to go to all 99 Iowa counties. That matters a lot to you. It matters a ton to me and it matters a ton to Iowa. Because what he's saying is I'm not taking anything for granted. I'm going to go to every Casey's general store, Hy-Vee grocery store, whatever it is. I'm going to visit with you. I'm going to be accessible. And so we're going to celebrate his 99th county on Saturday in Jasper County. Governor Kim Reynolds and I will be speaking at that along with Casey and Governor DeSantis. When you look at Iowa, though, it's still Trump's at, what, 49 percent? It's still got a substantial lead. What should we know about that with all your years of experience about Iowa and the caucus system? Well, first of all, as you know, Brian, Iowa always breaks late. It broke late for Huckabee in 08, Santorum in 12, and Cruz in 16. But the other thing I'd say in the polling I'm looking at is that Trump's like in the low 40s, like at 42 percent in the state of Iowa. And when you're a former Republican president in the Iowa caucus, that's not a great day. And I think that's his high watermark here. I think it's going to be more like 37, which means you got 63 percent. And DeSantis is way better organized and structured in the state of Iowa for a caucus ground game than, say, Ted Cruz ever was or Mike Huckabee ever was or Rick Santorum ever was. So I think caucus night, um, DeSantis is tailor-made to upend the former president here. So what do you like about his team? What worried you about his team? You said it was his endorsement to lose. So did you see enough? Because you've, you've heard they lost some major donors. So what do you like about his team? What needs to change? I remember Jim Clyburn said, I'm going to endorse President Biden if he straightens out his team. He had a, he had a bad team. He bombed in Iowa, bombed in New Hampshire. So what did what did you notice, and, and what should what should we know? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's nothing that I didn't like. He did everything right. Uh, he came in and he 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 worked exceptionally hard. He did Iowa the right way. He's had over 40 state legislative endorsements. He's got the historic endorsement of Governor Kim Reynolds, who's one of the most popular governors in the country and the most popular governor of my lifetime in the state of Iowa. He's got all the key endorsement. He's got all the key factors. He's got 120 county chairs for 99 counties. He's got the precincts covered, and his message is resonating. And I think what it is, people just need to be assured that it's okay not to vote for Trump and vote for DeSantis. That doesn't mean you're betraying Trump. That means you're looking out for the future of this country, your kids and your grandkids. That would be uh, that would be every message for almost every candidate. So what's the last time, uh, Bob, I'm talking to Bob Vanderplatz, uh, what's the last time you lost after your endorsement? I, I'm 3-0. <laughs> I 
But it's not necessarily my endorsement. I mean, I always tell people my endorsement's worth one vote. But what I try to do is make sure my endorsement sticks. Our base is very influential here. I think that the Iowa caucus electorate will be like 64% uh, evangelical Christian. These people take time out of their night on a cold night in, in the middle of January to discuss with their neighbors who they should vote for. They take it very, very serious. And I see that kind of commitment and energy with the DeSantis people on the ground. Also, what does uh, Governor Reynolds' endorsement do uh, as well? She also endorsed Ron DeSantis. It's huge. And what she's saying, too, I mean, and she was a big supporter and proponent of Donald Trump. I still think I still consider Donald Trump a friend. He always doesn't like what I do or what I say, but I still consider him a friend. But what she's saying, too, she goes, this isn't against Donald Trump. This is about we need someone who can lead and lead for two terms, someone who can defend this country versus defend themselves. And someone who's got a history of taking on the woke agenda, uh, taking on woke corporations, as well as standing up for the values that we hold dear. And DeSantis has done it. If I was an NBA coach and he was an NBA player, he'd be my top pick. And that's why we went with him. So in the the, as well. when you look at the Trump's track record among evangelicals, you know, he might not be the traditional uh, religious candidate that you often heard. You also you heard that a lot from George W. Bush. But in terms of you track bet. record, evangelicals, he's produced for you guys, right? Yeah, but he's not the same guy, Brian. Uh, he produced by giving us three judges, which led to the overturn of Roe v. Wade. We give him credit for that. But then he throws pro-lifers under the bus for the midterm elections, says the heartbeat bill was too harsh. He wants to make a deal on the sanctity of human life. He can't define what a woman is. Uh, it, there's a lot of things today that he's just done. Um, that It's like, are we into principle or are we into personality? If we're into principle, I think you're going to vote with Ron DeSantis. If you're into personality, yeah, you're going to vote Donald Trump. So when you say he's not the same guy, you should say, but he's also seeing the results of these elections. And you could be, well, if you're the most pro-life person in the world, you're not winning in a lot of these a lot of these battleground states. Well, you take a look at those that uh, Governor Reynolds, who signed a heartbeat bill, Governor DeSantis, who signed a heartbeat bill, they won and they won in landslides. Why? Because they they led with authenticity, and they led with a compassionate voice for the mom, for the dad that's involved, the community that's involved, and people trusted them. Uh, what they don't trust is when you're trying to nuance and get talking points on the life issue. People respect where you're at, but they, they don't want you to be making up games on messaging. And I think where Trump is saying to, uh, to Caitlin Collins on CNN, we're going to make a deal that everybody's going to be happy with. Uh, that makes everybody more than nervous on that issue. And have you talked to Trump since you made your endorsement? No, I haven't. Now, he's, he's talked to me through the media because he's not happy with my endorsement. But um, first of all, I mean, they they said, you know, my endorsement doesn't matter. And it may not matter because I tell them it's worth one vote. But I think what it shows is that he's very concerned about my endorsement. He's very concerned about Kim Rail's endorsement. I think his team and he also see what's happening on the ground in the state of Iowa. And Governor DeSantis knows that Iowa's ground zero. If you upend Trump here or if you come in a close second to him here, I think it's game on to the nomination. It's a two-person race. If Trump wins by 20, 30 points, uh, it'll be a hard a hard sell for anybody to say, well, we're going to move on. I think Trump then just steamrolls to the nomination. How active has Trump been in Iowa? He's been very – I mean, he's, he's really picked up steam. 
uh, by coming here more and more. Now, the venues are smaller. They'll be packed, but they're small venues. Uh, he's up on advertising in Iowa. I think he knows that uh, he, he could be in danger of losing here. Remember, he was supposed to beat Cruz here by five points, and Cruz beat him by four. That's a nine-point turnaround. This time, there's more ground to make up, but there's less candidates, and I think there's more open sky to make that happen. Are you going to be watching tonight on Fox, Sean Hannity, 9 to 10.30? I think it's a crucial debate. And, as a matter of fact, I think uh, a lot of Iowans are going to participate in the caucuses are going to watch that. And the reason is it's going to be a tale of two states, California and Florida, a tale of two governors. And I I think and I hope that people will be able to see this is what it's going to take to not only beat the Democrats in 2024, but how do you lead and make America look a whole lot more like Florida than like California? And Ron DeSantis, if you do your opposition research, should be fine. He's got a stronger hand. I think even Democrats will tell you that. But it's very interesting to see if a debate, the big difference between a primary debate where everyone agrees on maybe 80 percent of the things, maybe more, as opposed to they probably agree on 20 percent. So this could be really interesting. But you could also get caught. Uh, You could also get caught if you're not prepared to understand what Gavin Newsom's strengths are. And if Newsom doesn't understand uh, ahead of time what, what Governor DeSantis has. Yeah, you know, and I think for both of them, Newsom and for DeSantis, this is kind of their natural habitat. They like having a debate, uh, Newsom, because he's very slick and he's a salesman. But he's really operating uh, on a a house of cards, so to speak. Where DeSantis, uh, he's very knowledgeable, he's very articulate, he's intellectual, but he's operating off of a firm foundation. These are things that have been true for a long time. These are timeless truths, and they're showing to work in Florida. And as people flee California, they're running into the state of Florida. I think that's enough. I mean, that would be enough said for me where he could just drop the mic and exit the stage. All right. We'll see. We've got the holiday break. It's over. Thanksgiving's over. A sprint to Christmas, a slight pause. And then uh, and then in January, we finally get this thing underway. A week later, it's New Hampshire. Next thing you know, it's South Carolina, Nevada, and we have a Super Tuesday. And it all starts in Iowa. Bob Vanderplatz, thanks so much, Bob. Great to hear from you. Oh, Brian, really appreciate it. God bless you, man. Uh, back at you. one 408 I see all the calls up there. I'll go through them rapidly when we get back. I have not touched the Hunter story yet. You, you're not going to believe this. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The bank did what it was supposed to do. The compliance officer caught it. They realized that this is a wire into what they said was a company with uh, no known purpose, meaning it was a shell company or a fake company. And they were concerned because the, uh, the politically exposed person who owned the account was the son of the former vice president of the United States. They knew through press accounts uh, and through his ex-wife's testimony and interviews that he had a drug problem, that he was in financial trouble. So they knew that he was compromised. They knew that China did this. This is the way that China bought influence. And we found out that they had a program to target the kids of U.S. officials. And guess what? Hunter was right for the picking, his vice president dad. So get this. They found out in 2018, a bank investigator responsible for detecting and combating money laundering warned 
of unusual and erratic activity related to more than a dozen wire transfers of large sums of money to accounts belonging to, drumroll please, Hunter Biden. I'm not saying a Republican. I am saying that money laundering investigators. So in an email released by the House Oversight Committee yesterday, a Bank Secrecy Act manager raised question concerns that the payments did not appear to correspond to, quote, any serious, any services rendered, close quote, as well as Chinese efforts to target children of politicians. The investigator suggested the bank reevaluate the relationship with the client. The payments from the China from China ultimately funded a forty thousand dollar payment to Joe Biden from his brother that had been labeled loan repayment. According to the Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, Comer is co-leading the impeachment, as you know. So get this. In one of these emails that they uncovered, his ex-wife voiced concerns about Hunter's spending. Says Hunter Hunter's $1.5 billion deal with a Chinese equity firm. The equity firm's purpose to invest in companies that benefit the Chinese government. Really? Activity on the account was unusual because there is no current business purpose. Nothing I told you now was from a Republican. Those were from investigations when a Republican was in the White House, yes, but it had nothing to do with any investigation Right, that there was existing right now to do with William Barr or anyone else. Chris, listen, WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brian. Real quickly, I want to make a quick point. Uh, as a Florida voter, uh, Ron DeSantis, when he won re-election, we had legislation in place that allowed a woman's choice to 15 weeks. And uh, respectfully, after he won his election, uh, he then changed. Uh, to a more conservative stance and uh, signed into law a five-week ban, and he hasn't faced the voters since then. So I think he's going to struggle with that in a general election as much as I respect and appreciate him. Um, I, I think that uh, that was to go get that specific donor. And, and just let everybody know, Chris, if they're just tuning in, uh, Bob Vanderplot said he pay, you know, he won this vote easily with six weeks. He didn't. He won it with 15 weeks because you're right. Marco Rubio said, I'd like a, I'm pro-life, but Florida isn't. Uh, or everybody in Florida isn't. So I'm going to leave it 15 weeks, and that helped him win. And then Governor Santis got all his legislation passed in Florida, and one of which was six weeks. So go ahead, Chris. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, ultimately I believe that as a conservative and as a party, a Republican party, we've got to stop losing other places and have an understanding that you can be pro-life and pro-choice. And after 15 weeks, then I, I would start to talk about it being abortion. But up to that point in time, it's more of a specific choice for a woman. And in 80, 90 percent of women, regardless of what side they sit on, and the majority of independents and moderates are going to agree with that stance. So if we want to win on the border, we want to win on foreign policy, we want to win on taxation, then we have to kind of come to an understanding. And they always say we can't do it federally. Well, it's just a, a party agreement. I'm, I'm not saying you put it in legislatively. Leave it to the states, but have an understanding right. that this is where we should be. This is the one message I like. You know, and it's not a catchphrase, it's fact. They say, can we agree when the baby feels pain? Who out there is going to go, no, I don't think so. I, I don't mind the, the baby feels pain. So when they do the, that week, I think it's 12 or 15 weeks. Thanks so much, Chris. It makes a lot of sense. Alex over in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Alex, big debate tonight. All right, we're going to uh, fix that. But this debate tonight's got to be interesting. However, Ron DeSantis has got a great opportunity. If he looks strong, he looks young, he looks spry, he looks quick, he looks happy, confident, like he always usually does. Takes on Gavin Newsom. 
who's about an inch thick in terms of knowing policy, but can use a catchphrase, hit you with some numbers you might not be able to follow up on, but stick on homeless. Stick on the fact that your your state is on a shortfall and there's a huge surplus in Florida. Stick on the zero taxes, state taxes in Florida. Look on how many people have come to Florida and how many people have left in California. And then understand what he's going to say that he has going for him. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm really glad you're here and you weren't storming the building last night. It was just amazing. These uh, pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protesters are making a scene uh, on every major event. And if you have a major event in your city, expect for them to show up through social media They don't need posters. They communicate and they swarm, and these cops have to quickly be overwhelmed. And you add to that everyone with a camera waiting for a cop to get a little rough. I'm actually waiting for a cop to get a little rough on camera. I will praise them. Brett Tolman is standing by, and Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour. Uh, We'll talk about uh, some of the stakes in 2024. But right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They realized that this is a wire into what they said was a company with uh, no known purpose, meaning it was a shell company or a fake company. The politically exposed person who owned the account was the son of the former vice president of the United States. This is getting crazy. Uh, And these are some reports from five years ago about what Hunter Biden was up to. More proof with the name Hunter's involved. There's fire, there's smoke and a mysterious bank account. The latest activity coming your way. Number two. Look, if Biden <laughs> died tomorrow, and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? I think they have no cards, and they're looking at this this game. And I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty, and they're depending upon Trump getting convicted. They are, and Joe Rogan once again is right. Twenty twenty four, Biden spiraling, gaffing, but still running as it becomes clear an opportunity exists for a Republican sweep of every branch of government. The hail mary. Demonize, institutionalize, jail Donald Trump and let him bring the rest of the party down. Will that work? Number one. And so he's under pressure and he doesn't want to alienate what has become, thanks to his own efforts, an important part of his constituency. So he seems to be kind of straddling, supporting Israel and yet saying now, but don't be too mean to the Palestinians. So I think that's where he is. I think he's kind of trapped here. Pause remains on pause. More hostage releases will extend this at least one other day and keep Israel's war machine on ice. As evidence grows, that President Biden is going wobbly with his support. Let's bring in Brett Tolman now, former federal prosecutor, former counsel to Senate Judiciary Committee and former U.S. attorney. Brett, welcome. Thanks, Brian. Great to be with you. Well, we've got a lot to discuss some various topics. First off, when Joe Rogan speaks, I tend to listen. He just speaks and just uh, tactically he's 100 percent right. (laughs) And when you look at what he was just saying and just on the tactics, I'll bring you into politics. At the same time, I'll bring you into what the Democrats are already doing, and that is vilify and possibly jail Donald Trump. Here is Joe Rogan. Look, if Biden died tomorrow and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? They're going to put her on the moon? Like, what are they going to do? (laughs) She's the vice president. I think they have no cards. And they're looking at this this game, and I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty, 
And they're depending upon Trump getting convicted yeah. and arrested. I mean, and, and um, uh, imprisoned rather. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think it is. It doesn't seem. To, it seems like it's a bunch of trumped up charges. No pun intended. And on top of that, we find out. You know, we know the civil case is going on. The president's going to be going uh, on the on the stand next week. We know he's already been found guilty of fraud to a judge, and they want to line up this case first civilly for an appeal, immediate appeal, and stay the order so you don't have to write the check. Eric's going to go up again for the defense. Can I bring you to the civil trial and what we can expect, and why do you think Trump is still going every day? Yeah, you know, Brian, there's so many, so many um, layers of what's what's going on. We're we're watching. You know, Joe Rogan is absolutely right that the cards they seem to be holding is really just one one card, and that is take down Trump, do whatever is necessary to take down Trump. Um, because they know that he is gaining in support, and they've got to see it through to the end. Um, that they, they never really seem to have stopped and thought through this this strategy. Um, the civil case that you you watch President Trump and what he's doing, and it makes sense to me in a way that. He is wanting to actually be there every day, and he is wanting to uh, increase the attention to the narrative that this is the only cards they're trying to play. They're trying to take him down. They're using multiple actions, criminal and civil, in order to do so. And and this civil the civil case is his first ability to kind of jump in there in a somewhat safe safe case to take the stand uh, to make representations. It's it's very gray the theory that they're working under. So it makes sense to me that he's doing that because I think he's calculated that it's going to backfire. All of this effort to put him in prison is going to backfire in terms of his popularity and 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 what will happen at the election. If that ends up being true. You know, they they will have themselves to blame that they had no back. They had no plan. And their only their only card they were going to play was go after Donald Trump. So now Jack Smith is at it. Uh, He is going after Trump big time. Do you know what he's doing now? The Department of Justice released a redacted subpoena for the President Trump's account on Twitter. And uh, the special counsel Smith is investigating to find out who followed him, who liked him. Find his list of Twitter users who have favorited or retweeted posts by Trump as well as all tweets that include the username associated with the Trump account. He also is going to look at replies. He's flipped his lawyers, cut deals with his chief of staff. What's going on here? Yeah, you know, Jack Smith is at a position, you know, what he's got is he's got to try to change that case in some ways, the optics on the case. He's got to paint it as actually Donald Trump fueling insurrection not not because he charged that, but because that's the narrative they need out there in order to, you know, pursue eliminating him as a viable candidate. It's bizarre to me that he is going to this this effort. The charges that he brought, he either has that evidence already or not. Um, he presented it to the grand jury. So the fact that he is continuing to pursue and now expanding that, I think it's to try to, to, to reframe the narrative that, that despite Donald Trump saying, you know, go to the Capitol but be peaceful, I think he's trying to combat that, that, that real fatal, potentially fatal flaw in his case. But what the aggression as opposed to What's going after going after Joe Biden, a quiet investigation with zero leaks 
and they're going to announce that he had some egregious behavior but nothing charged. It's almost, it seems, according to the leaks, that they're going to go up and look at his years of holding on to classified documents. I'm talking about the current president. As bad, but we're not going to charge him. Robert Hur. How do you explain the different approaches here? Yeah, we're, we're, again, it's almost like revisiting Jim Comey making the argument that no reasonable prosecutor would go after Hillary Clinton. In their view, a reasonable prosecutor targets a political foe and 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 uh, the, the targets the narrative that they don't like and that they want to upset there's no question that we have seen abuse of the FISA rules the 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 manipulation of the FISA court we've seen abuse of subpoena power we've seen abuse of criminal investigations all targeting either Donald Trump or conservatives and now they have to be consistent so they're not going to target Hillary Clinton. They're not going to target Joe Biden. They're not going to target Hunter Biden. I want and, you to, and it's yeah. the same side of the other coin. It's the same other side of the same coin. I want you to hear what Mike Davis said, Article 3 project founder, who's been looking at this case and knows it's coming up in Washington, D.C., and he also knows the makeup of the likely jury. Cut 22. There's no chance that President Trump is going to get a fair trial in D.C. She supervised the grand jury proceedings. She railroaded him, as we discussed, by making his attorney turn over notes. She threatened Twitter and said that if Twitter, uh, Twitter couldn't even tell Trump that she that Jack Smith was getting his records because he was supposedly a flight risk, like he was going to escape from Trump was going to escape from his Secret Service protection. She fined Twitter $350,000, $7,000 an hour for being 51 hours late and responding to a subpoena by Jack Smith, signed by her for millions of pages of records. She is a partisan activist, and the Supreme Court needs to needs to actually do its job and correct this. How, how would the Supreme Court get involved with that? Is that just a – is that illogical? Yeah, so look, I, I agree with with Mike's comments, but to to back it up, I I I was one or very early on that predicted that Donald Trump would be convicted on the D.C. case. You have the wrong kind of judge. You have the jury's a problem. You have the prosecutor that's manipulated the statutes um, in order to bring the case. So I think his his only you know chance at getting this in front of the Supreme Court is is going to be an appeal after conviction, and probably while he's sitting in, in, in jail. Um, he'll be running for office and appealing his conviction and try to take it you know, from the D.C. federal district court up to the circuit and then to the Supreme Court. While in jail. So he gets convicted in, in, this, in this jury. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't get out on appeal? Well, there's a there's an authority, and I believe this judge will exercise that authority that's granted to district court judges to actually take an individual in upon conviction and incarcerate them awaiting sentencing. And it, it, it's rare, but it happens and they do have the authority to do it. And, you know, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to believe someone that argues that that she's not going to do that. Wow. That would be something, Brett. Most people didn't think that he'd do it, home, house arrest or whatever, limit him, leave him, in, leave him in court, but not that. So interesting. Uh, the other thing with Hunter Biden, real quick, you have somebody now that wanted to testify publicly. James Comer says, no, I don't need that. We want you behind closed doors first. Then we'll decide what we're going to do. Why? 
Yeah, I think I think they don't want it to be a circus to be taken over by you know the 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 left and and you know, we've all seen sort of how those those hearings unfold. So I think what he's trying to do is very similar to what we do when when we ha- when hearings are held on on classified or sensitive material to do it um, in a closed session so that it's productive so that the questions are are sincere and they get to the bottom of you know the 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 issues that they're looking into. I think it's probably the right move, but I I also I also like transparency, and I'm not sure how well you know Hunter Biden would do on uh, uh, you know being a witness in one of these hearings. So I will say this: investigator was suggesting that the uh, in 2018, a a uh, an investigator looking into erratic bank activity stumbled on guess who Hunter Biden for unusual and erratic activity to more than a dozen or more wire transfers, large sums of money to accounts belonging to Hunter Biden. In an email released by the House Oversight Committee, a Banking Secrecy Act manager raised concerns that the payments did not appear to correspond with, quote, any services rendered, as well as Chinese efforts to target children of politicians. He obviously would fit that ballot. So then I looked at the actual email this morning, and I thought this was interesting. His ex-wife voiced concerns about his spending and cited Hunter got a $1.5 billion deal with a Chinese equity firm. The equity firm's purpose, according to this letter, was to invest in companies that benefit the Chinese government. Activity on the accounts unusual because there is no current business purpose. I'm giving you this is what's out there now. Tell me this. Tell yeah. me this is partisan. When you read this, do you see Republican or Democrat? Yeah, this is this is meat and potatoes um, corruption, and and it is it's not just the layers of fraud, and and it's now bank fraud. Um, it's money laundering. It's it's wire and mail fraud. It's all of those things. But you you now have an element of national security concerns that a dummy corporation was receiving, you know, financial benefit that benefited the Biden family, and that the purpose for it was to assist the Chinese government. And and that is absolutely a betray- betrayal of your oath of office as vice president. Um, you know, they are supposed to be the on guard against foreign <clears throat> or domestic, um, you know, breaches and, and potential enemies to this country. And I can't think of any other case right. that is more meat and potatoes case of corruption. So they're trying to isolate it. By the way, it looks like Abby Lowe does not care about the White House. He's doing his own thing for his client. I have no idea how they're affording how he can afford to pay him. He can't pay child support, but he can pay Abby Lowe. It's just crazy. Um, Jerry Nadler paintings. That's true. My my fault. I I should have brought that up. Jerry Nadler called called Hunter a disturbed man who may not have very well. He may have well done improper things. Jamie Raskin came out and said did a lot of really unlawful and wrong things. What is the tactic there for Democrats to start throwing Hunter under the bus? Yeah, it, it appears they're going to paint him as, you know, in, in an attempt to try to separate him and gain some sympathy for him, that this is really just a troubled individual that was making really bad decisions while he's on drugs. And, and, and therefore, you know, let, let's see it in that light as opposed to a conscious effort by someone to manipulate uh, the, uh, the the office of the vice president's a- the access to the vice president and utilize his name to try to ingratiate themselves to foreign corrupt governments 
to to get money without having to provide any services. I mean, the apologies are going to come out, and the narrat- narrative is going to start to shift and change as they try to to paint Hunter Biden in a more sympathetical you know manner. And and it, we sh- we need to resist it. An, an accurate media would be jumping on this, not political partisans, not right or left. It would be like you, Brian, just exposing this and saying, hey, American people, you decide. This is what is now known about what happened. Got it. Uh, Brett, uh, appreciate it. Took you through the gamut and you were ready. You're ready for the challenge. I appreciate it. Brett Toman, thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. I see you up there. Then I'm going to squeeze in Mark Thiessen. A great story. Do you realize who's paying for Ukraine? Uh, They are. I'll tell you about it. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, let's try to get to the phones right now. Then we got Mark Thiessen on the other side. Uh, let's go out to Rob in Virginia. Hey, Rob. Hello. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, everybody is so confused and wondering why people stick with Trump. And I'll tell you, it's really simple. Donald Trump is the only candidate I can remember ever. And I was a little too young to understand anything about Reagan. But the only one I've ever seen willing to take the beating he's taken and keep moving forward. He doesn't apologize. He, he doesn't step back. He doesn't go on the news begging for forgiveness. And also, I hear these uh, Republicans tell us how horrible the FBI and the Justice Department and how two-tiered they are. They don't have they, – they have the power to do things to them, like they could at least try to defund them. Uh, they didn't have to award them with this new – great big office they're getting ready to get it's, it's like man donald trump is it there's no one else well as you know you can't you, the fbi plays a vital role in law enforcement Thirty-five thousand. i think rob where i agree with you is you got to get a new director in there no one has faith in him nobody except chris christie uh, i don't believe he's ever telling the truth i think he covers for his people he's looking to survive and i'm not interested in that i want somebody that's willing to lose the job and the confidence of the people in order to win over the confidence of the people in the field. Uh, and I think it's the seventh floor they talk about where all the FBI heads are. Uh, Chris Ray is probably a good guy. Uh, I don't think he's a good FBI director. He certainly does not, uh, does not have the faith and trust of a Republican administration. So he would go if a Republican wins for sure. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Kevin McCarthy was here this morning. And he was, uh, in very stark terms, effectively said that he did not believe that President Biden uh, was the same President Biden that he used to talk to. Went so far as to say that when they were having the debt negotiations, that he didn't even think he was negotiating with him. That he thought he was looking at cards and that if, if the information effectively wasn't on the cards... He wasn't able to do it. With all due respect, <laughs> when anyone who has had the experience that he has most recently had, I don't think he's a judge of negotiations. 
I don't know. Um, didn't answer the question. Mark Thiessen joins us now from Arlington, Virginia. By the way, we all know the eight people just blew up. Everybody else agreed that he was doing a great job. I don't think everybody on the Democratic side would agree that she's doing a good job. But Mark Thiessen's a big fan of Kamala Harris, talks about her all the time, and joins <laughs> us now. Is that how you're normally introduced? It is, every day, yeah. <laughs> So Kamala Harris fan club, baby. Right. I mean, she's done so well and she's so confident and so good on her feet and such a workhorse. Um, So that is exactly right. She, she has the, she is just as inarticulate as Joe Biden without the dementia as an excuse. Right. Yeah. Put it this way. She would be actually has no excuse that, Hey, you know what? I'm 81. I had two brain brain aneurysms. We don't really know what goes on. And to me, I'm not talking about intellect ever. It's, to me, this is studying. You just got to study. You don't even have to read. You can yeah. get briefed. You can get briefed and get ready. You ask Q&A, however you learn. It doesn't seem like no, she studies. That's, that's how you and I make it sound like we know what we're talking about. Right, yeah. We, we just try to outwork people. <laughs> and you write. Uh, you're writing every day, and you write this great column. First off, your, your take on what Kevin McCarthy said and how that plays into tonight. DeSantis against Gavin Newsom. I mean, look, the American people are not stupid. They can see with their own two eyes that Joe Biden isn't isn't there in the same sense. I mean, that, 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 that and, I, and I've had uh, conversations with, you know, current and former world leaders who have said the same thing about their discussions with Joe Biden on phone calls and things like that. Um, it, it's just he's he's not capable of carrying out a substantive, extended, extemporaneous conversation. I mean, maybe sometimes he is. It's like, you know, when people, you know, it's like you know, they, anyone who's had a, a loved one with dementia knows there's a phenomenon of sundowners where, you know, at some point earlier in the day, they're better, but then as they get later and more tired, their their cognitive abilities decline. I'm sure that he has his moments of lucidity, but he's not, most Americans, you just look at the polls, Democrats, Republicans, independents, liberals, conservatives, you name it. Everybody thinks that he's not capable of carrying out the next uh, finishing a a, uh, a second term. I mean, do you know anybody who thinks that five years from now, if Joe Biden wins, that five years from now he'll still be president in I, in twenty twenty eight? I mean, I don't think he could do. Yeah, nobody I, does. Yeah, I don't so, think. Yeah, no one ever thought that yeah. Barack Obama couldn't do the job. You might disagree with him. No one ever thought that George W. Bush couldn't do the job. You might disagree with them. That's not the case now. Listen to him yesterday in Pueblo, Colorado. Cut 13. We could use it to strengthen the Social Security and Medicare system instead of cutting them like Congressman Trump and Bob wanted to do. We could use it to help millionaires and millions of families afford, instead of millionaires and millions of families afford a little help with senior care. So uh, I wish I could get a translator, but there's nobody that could understand what he said. He said Congressman Trump. That's the first time he's ever been called Congressman Trump, ever. No, exactly right. There's some people that want him to be speaker. So (laughs) in in his defense, there was this talk of uh, Speaker Trump. Um, No, I mean, and just look at how how Joe Biden has declined in the three years that he's been in the Oval Office. I mean, just if you just take a video of him doing and doing speaking right after his inauguration, and now. It's like night and day. How is he going to be three years from now? How is he going to be five years from now? So, I mean, I I think, 
even de Democrats, they just they just don't know what to do because they don't have an alternative to him. I think the smart thing that Democrats should do is not necessarily that they, they can't convince Joe Biden not to run. They're not going to challenge him. What they should convince him to do is to replace Kamala Harris and 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 put somebody else on the ticket who will be the presumptive nominee. You, 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 Joe, Joe, what Joe Biden should do is just pick his successor. Uh, you avoid a fractious primary, pick somebody who's going to be the Democratic nominee and sort of imply that at some point during the next term, he'll step down and hand it over to that person. Um, it's sort of, you know, you see this in British politics where, you know, you have like, you know, the uh, the prime minister is serving and they, they it's understood that at some point he's going to step aside and hand it over to so-and-so, right? You could do that. Um, and that would then, you know, give them a boost in the election. It's sort of, it, it would be a way to replace Biden without replacing him. But the problem they have is they can't replace Kamala Harris because they are a party that has fully embraced identity politics, and they will never. It'll be harder for them to replace Kamala Harris, the first black woman uh, on the vice president, than it would be to replace Joe Biden. So they're trapped by their identity politics, and she's even less popular than he is. I want you to hear what Governor Sununu said. Let's listen. So if it comes down to Trump and Biden, which it most likely will, you're going to vote for Trump then? I am a Republican. OK, so you will vote for Trump. Okay. It's not going to be Trump and Biden. I'm telling you. So, you so think here's it'll be another here. Republican and Biden? So I will say this, and, and I mean this quite sincerely. The party yeah. that chooses to move on from Trump or Biden first wins. If the Democrats choose before the Republicans to move on, from Biden before the Republicans choose to move on from Trump, Democrats will win. America is just looking for something new, so a new generation, enough of this old old school crap. We need to move forward. And so any new candidate on either side is going to win this, this election. What's your thoughts on that? I 100 percent agree with that. I mean, look, the, the polls are just absolutely clear. The, the super majorities of Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. And they, 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 but the problem with that is, is that you know, if you're a Democrat uh, and you're and you don't want Biden as your nominee, you're not going to vote for Trump. And if you're a Republican, uh, you know, Joe Biden is the literally the most unpopular president not named Jim and Carter since the end of World War II. He, he, most Americans say Republicans think he's a disaster. Independents think he's a disaster. Moderates think he's a disaster. They're not going to vote for Biden. You know, uh, that, so they're trapped in these bad choices that they don't want. And he's absolutely right. The party that figures that out and and takes something and, and chooses a different nominee. I mean, you just look at that that New York Times Siena poll that came out, which showed that Trump was sort of narrowly ahead in swing states. And it was it, that was said a five alarm fire for the Democrats. Trump could actually win this election. You look at that same poll and look at how Nikki Haley does against Joe Biden. I mean, double digits. It crushes him in those swing states, you know, at that and vice versa. Um, if you if you take Biden off, if you have a generic Democrat running against Trump in all those swing states, the Democrats crush Trump. So the, the voters are very clear that they don't want either one of these. If they're forced to choose, either one of them could win. Well, the last, the last poll I saw Trump, the last poll I saw Trump beat Gavin Newsom. And I think that's their golden boy, right? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know why the Democrats would think that that picking the person who embodies everything that Americans hate about about the Democratic Party, which is California and making him. The, I mean, just I guess he's, you know, good looking, looks presidential, you know, sounds presidential. So somehow that makes up for everything. It's like this is a state where, you know, up until for the last two centuries, people have been moving to California. 
And under Gavin Newsom, for the first time in 200 years, they've had a net out-migration of people. They ran out of U-Hauls in the state of California. Why would that be your, 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 your success, chosen successor? I have no idea. So I want to bring you to your column. Uh, your column you wrote about, hey, Ukraine, uh, guess what? Most of the money that we're giving, uh, most of the weaponry we're giving to Ukraine, the money stays here. Can you explain? So one of the best-kept secrets about U.S. military aid to the Ukraine is that the money is being spent here. We're, what we're, the, the money that lawmakers are approving to arm Ukraine isn't going to Ukraine. It's going to American communities, American defense uh, factories, and they're using it to build, either to replace weapons that we send to Ukraine or build new weapons for Ukraine. And that is doing a number of things. It is creating jobs. It's creating manufacturing jobs in America. It is it's strengthening those communities economically, and it's also revitalizing our defense industrial base so that we can produce weapons for other adversaries like Taiwan or to help Israel. Um, and, uh, and, and most people don't realize it. Uh, we identified, uh, doing our research, 117 production lines in 31 states in 71 cities that are benefiting directly from aid to Ukraine. Ninety percent of the money that we spend to arm Ukraine stays in America. And that's helping our national security. I'll give you a perfect example of it. Stinger missiles, right? Most people don't realize that the United States has not built a Stinger missile since 2005. And the reason for that is we spent the last 20 years fighting terrorists who didn't have airplanes, except when they hijacked them. So, you know, you, they, Stinger is an anti-aircraft missile that's designed to shoot, shoot down fighter planes. Well, guess who has fighters? China. So we, if, if you're going to have a conflict with China, you need Stinger missiles. Ukraine needs Stinger missiles. We've now uh, signed contracts for $465 million to build Stinger missiles again. So that means we have a warm production line producing a weapon that we will need against almost any adversary that we could, we, that we could fight uh, in, in the coming years. So this is helping our national security, creating warm assembly lines and creating jobs here at home. It's, it's an actually, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a benefit to the American communities, uh, as much as it is to Ukraine. So why do you think more people don't know this? Because I think the, the, the people who, uh, who, uh, who do know it are to, aren't, aren't highlighting it. So, I mean, you know, you look at somebody like J.D. Vance, uh, who is a senator from Ohio. Uh, uh, he, his state, Ohio, is, has the only tank factory in America, and they're producing M1 uh, Abrams tanks uh, to go to Ukraine. He's an anti-Ukraine uh, uh, senator. He'd be the person who'd be shouting if, you know, if, if Rob Portman was still the senator from Ohio, he'd be pointing out that you know, we need more Abrams tanks to Ukraine because we need to create more jobs for workers in, in Lima, Ohio, who are producing them. Um, but a lot of, you know, you've got Josh Hawley in Missouri. They're producing two weapons for Ukraine, the JDAM-ER, which is a weapon that t- basically what it does is it takes dumb bombs and turns them into smart bombs. It didn't exist uh, before the Ukraine war. They, they, the Boeing created it for Ukraine, uh, and, and, and it's, it's being sent over there. That's a weapon that we would give to Taiwan. Uh, that's a what JDAM ER is a weapon that that, that Israel could use, um, and and so it you know but he's against Ukraine aid, so they're not highlighting these things because they don't want people to realize that it's actually helping their states and their communities, but they're actually voting against their constituents. And just in the big picture with this legislation, they want uh, you the administration wants Ukraine funded, Israel funded, Taiwan funded, and the Republicans say not without the border. I love that deal. I think the Republicans have leverage on it. I think they could still get it done if they wanted to and saw the urgency before the holidays. 
and I also want to make sure it doesn't go to housing. I don't want housing for illegals. I want border security. So what do you, you've seen so much of this happen, Mark. What do you think the chances are? I think the chances are pretty good on that, and I think it's a good deal, and Republicans should take it. I mean, we we should help Israel, we should help Taiwan, we should help Ukraine, and we should secure the border. I mean, that's like you know, that's better than a trifecta. That's a quadrifecta, if that's the word. Um, you know, and and all of those things help America. You know, I mean, so if you if you think about the the uh, you know, one of the things we're doing with the Ukraine military aid is we are sending the Ukrainian stuff out of our stockpiles, which is often decades old. And then we're replacing it with new modern versions. So it's a military modernization program for the United States because we send them old weapons with old technology, which they use against the Russians. And then we get brand new weapons that that the army and the and then the services can use that are that are just off the assembly line and are the top of the line. So it's like giving them a used car and buying yourself a brand new one. Um, it, that's a that's a good deal for Ukraine. That's a good deal for America. So we we should. I think people just need to realize that aid to Ukraine it's a misnomer. It's not aid to it's not just aid to Ukraine. It's aid to Lima, Ohio. It's aid to Arkansas. It's aid to Alabama. It's aid to Florida. It's aid to it's aid to 31 U.S. states that are that are producing this, and it's aid to the United States military. It's giving them new weapons that are going to make our country more secure and safer. So uh, prediction for tonight. I think I think DeSantis is going to if, if DeSantis can't win this. I mean, the, all the substance is on his side. Everybody literally millions of people are voting for the with their feet, leaving Newsom state, moving to Florida. If you can't make that case, then uh, then you certainly can't win the presidency. I think I think it's a, it, it should be a, he should crush him. I do believe that DeSantis could re-energize. I mean, he's got the governor of Iowa. That's great. He's got uh, Bob Vanderplatt. We just spoke to him. That's great for him. But I think that yep. if you go ahead and wipe the floor with the with Gavin Newsom. I think that it's as close to boxing as you get. That sends a great message to the so-called champion. Uh, I'm coming for you. Give me a chance to debate you next. Maybe there's pressure on Trump to do that afterwards. And I would love to see Trump, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Chris Christie together. Yeah, I don't. I would take Chris Christie out of that picture. I, I, Chris Christie doesn't have a chance in hell of winning the Republican nomination. There, there are only two candidates after after these months of this primary. It's it's down to two people. Uh, for First of all, uh, there are two primaries. There's the primary to challenge Trump, and then there's a the primary against Trump for the Republican nomination. And we got to conclude the first one before we can do the second one. And so if, if the, in the next debate, if Trump isn't there, it should be a Haley versus DeSantis debate for who gets to take on Trump. And then at some point, uh, that's got to get settled and it got to go against Trump because the, the, otherwise he wins with a, with a, with a plurality of the vote, uh, not with a majority. He is uh, Mark Thiessen. Mark, I just hope the administration reads the Washington Post. I believe they get the, the paper boy dropped it off at 11 o'clock today. Uh, or excuse me, maybe it was 7 a.m. And they just read your column and say, wait a second. Can someone put this in one of my speeches? So it's, I w- I it's really important. I would love this. I'd love for that to happen. I'm not holding my breath. All right, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Take care. All right. I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this debate tonight. I'll come back, wrap things up. Also, go to BrianKilme.com. Find out where I'll be. Teddy and Booker T. this weekend. Heading to Texas. Heading to Alabama. Starting off in St. Louis. Don't move. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I just want to, uh, Teddy and Booker T, the book that uh, the two American icons who blaze a path to racial equality is now out. Thanks for leaving it three weeks now on the New York Times list. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to be with KFTK. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be, I'm going to be there tomorrow. So it's, uh, it's going to be great. I hope to see everyone there that can get there. If it is sold out, and if you don't have a ticket, if you go to BrianKillMe.com and it get, it'll go to my local bookstore and be personalized, or if you want to leave a book there, I'll definitely sign it and personalize it. you leave a little sticky pad on it. Number two, then I'm going to go out to Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to go first to Harker Heights at 11 o'clock, December 2nd, and then I'm going to be at the George W. Bush Library from 3 to 5. And then on December 3rd, Page and Pallet, Fairhope, Alabama. Last time the whole town came out, and it's going to be great. Uh, special thanks to WHIO listeners. I think we're sold out already December 8th. But December 9th, they'll be in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, the jo- uh, Joseph Beth Booksellers, I've been there. It is great. And December 10th in Charlotte, North Carolina at 4 at Barnes & Noble. Then I got two live shows. That's where I get a chance to talk about all my books, live interaction on stage. I have little skits penned out to bring some of these scenes to life. It is fun, patriotic, motivational, inspirational. I'll be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on the 15th at 8.30. And then in Holland, the Holland Civic Center in Holland, Michigan, December 16th. There you need tickets. It's co-sponsored by Fox Nation. And with it, you get there's going to be deals there. Uh, I think last time I think it was a free six months of Fox Nation, which is this awesome app where you get the Patriot Awards and all these great things with Rob Lowe and all these other great uh, artists. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Don't forget, I'm on the 5 tonight at 5 o'clock. And don't forget, One Nation, Saturdays at 9. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.